Shalom and welcome to another episode of the Zone Project podcast, Getting Undressed with God. The podcast where we talk about what you think, but don't say it, you believe, but won't discuss it, and you feel, but are too scared to share it. As always, I am your host, Pablo Giacopelli, and I am delighted that you could join me once again. Today, I am continuing the series on the heart, where I will be discussing how our hearts are disabled, as well as a process that God has used in my own life and the life of others I work with to bring great healing and freedom. So I invite you to please sit back and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me once again. It's uh, really good to be back uh, and to once again get behind the microphone to hopefully be able to share my heart uh, and the silent echo of my heartbeat, which, of course, um, is what I do every week. Um, I need to say, obviously, sorry to those of you that began to follow the podcast, which I am really delighted to tell you that due to the statistics that I get at the end of every week, it's a, it's a growing number and as many of you. So for that, I want to say thank you not only for listening, but of course, also for sharing it out with your tribe and your friends and your families. Now, um, one of the reasons why, of course, I have been absent in these last five or six weeks has been because we've been running through our uncommon spiritual retreats out here in Israel, several retreats uh, for people from all over the world, but of course, mainly from America. Uh, we had a, a really large group of ladies, 60 uh, leaders, Latin leaders, uh, half of them from the Dominican Republic and half of them based on the East Coast of America. That was followed by a, a men's retreat also by, made up of gentlemen that came uh, from various parts of the U.S. And this last group, which, of course, I finished this this past week, uh, a big group, uh, 37 people from uh, Austin out there in that great state of Texas. Now, one of the, the, the most beautiful things that I, I enjoy about our retreats is to, to watch the transformation take place uh, in real time in people's lives uh, before my very eyes. It's almost as if I have a, a front row seat um, to the, the arena of people's lives and I get to watch God do what only he can do, which is fantastic. Um, now, one of the things that, of course, we do in the retreats is we, we use the discoveries of archaeology to encourage people to do archaeology of their own hearts with God. Uh, and one of the areas that we see much um, much momentum take place, much action that God really gets involved in is, of course, in the wounding of people's hearts. Now, as uh, you know, I have been sharing quite a few podcasts in the last weeks before I obviously took the summer break. Uh, and I obviously been focusing on the heart, which is a, a topic that God has been really good to me, has given me a lot of revelation about. And of course, I believe is central not only to our journey and our walk with him, but it is also what interests him the most about each and every one of us, which is, of course, the condition of our hearts. Now, this week, I want to share um, why um, God focuses, obviously, in the condition of our hearts um, and the way that the enemy and, and life as a whole uh, takes us out of our hearts uh, by, of course, wounding on us. Now, as you and I both know, we live in a broken world with broken people. And we can only pass on and give to others what we have. 
So um, when we, of course, do not allow God to heal our hearts and we remain broken emotionally, um, what happens is we are bleeding inside. And uh, often these wounds, though people that we meet every day, people that we, we come up against, people that we obviously encounter in our journey, even though they might not be the ones that have cut us, that have actually wounded us, we nevertheless bleed on them the consequences of the wounding that we carry within us. And so therefore, it is very important to understand that when our heart is left, um, you know, wounded, when we do not address, um, you know, the, the, the deep parts of our life that are emotionally handicapped, if you like, our uh, journey with God will mainly take place within the top in 10 inches of our body, which is, of course, our mind, which is also, of course, where our ego lives. And our journey will become very much a dualistic journey. And we will seek to silence, of course, the, the noise that our wounds are making within us. We will try and numb those um, by, of course, becoming very busy outside and obviously trying to, um, you know, if you like, make our life as noisy as possible. Uh, in the hope that it will not only drown um, the wounding and, of course, the noise and the ache that, you know, is obviously crying out of us, but that, of course, we will use the success of our lives and what we manage to achieve uh, to help us in some way feel like we're okay, that our lives are not as broken as we thought they were, because, of course, if they were, we wouldn't have been able to create this amount of success outside or have what would appear on the surface to be a happy and peaceful life. Of course, until we are touched in a particular way or we face a particular situation that puts us under pressure, uh, where, of course, then uh, the real condition of our inner world is revealed. I know it happens with me, and I am sure it happens with you every time you put under pressure. And, uh, and it's, in fact, those situations that are the great barometers as we engage in a, in a healing journey with that, that we begin to see the change of the way we respond to those situations. Because as God heals us, we go from being reactive people to becoming proactive in the way that we respond not only to situations, but to also difficult people, uh, people that obviously challenge us, challenge our patience. Uh, and life as a whole, uh, really. Now, uh, what I'm going to do this uh, I w today, I want to cover a, a simple story in the Bible, which is, of course, going to be familiar to a lot of us. Um, and, you know, there is a, 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 a pattern that God has revealed to me, which I use uh, a lot with the people that I coach spiritually one-to-one -one over Skype or FaceTime. Uh, from all over the world, and I have, again, seen great success in their own lives uh, and a great amount of healing and deliverance and freedom take place as they have followed these four simple steps. And now I'm going to kind of cover those steps, um, and then I'm also going to do that by using uh, a parable or, a, or, if you like, a story where Jesus uh, does the same thing with a rich young ruler, uh, which is a story we're all familiar with. And then I'm going to finish uh, by telling you four personal stories of my life and how, um, you know, wounding not only uh, limited me, but it, 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 it was very much what was responsible for the way that I reacted in certain situations. 
but also it was responsible for the strongholds, the agreements I had set up in my mind and I had agreed that my life would function in a particular way, which was, of course, dysfunctional and which was, of course, painful and it brought much suffering. But because this was what had been set up through the wounding that I received as a child was very much the way that my life went, like it or not. And this didn't just happen before I put my hand up, but this, of course, continued to happen until one day I truly woke up spiritually and I met Jesus for the first time, which, of course, was 14 years um, after I had been practicing uh, what I, you know, obviously called uh, Christianity, the Christian religion. So uh, I invite you to sit back, uh, fasten your seatbelts, and let's begin by looking at this, um, this story and, of course, this process that God has obviously revealed to me uh, in order to reach this place of healing uh, within our hearts. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I would like to invite you to open them up to Mark, uh, the book of Mark, chapter 10. And as always, I will be reading from my Aramaic Bible. Um, so it may vary a little bit uh, with what you got in front of you. You can always, of course, go back and do your own study with the, the version of the Bible that you use. Uh, but for me, I will be, of course, using my usual version of Aramaic. Now, we will start uh, in chapter 10 on verse 17. Uh, and the scriptures say as follows. And while he was traveling on the road, that is Yeshua, a certain man ran up and fell upon his knees and asked him and said, Good teacher, what shall I do to gain eternal life? And Yeshua said to him, Why do you call me good? There is no one good except Elohim. Do you know the commandments? Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not kill, and do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. And Yeshua looked at him and loved him and said to him, One thing is lacking in you. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And take up your staff and follow me. But he was sad at this saying and departed while being grieved, for he had much wealth. And Yeshua looked at his disciples and said to them, How difficult it is for them who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of Elohim. And the disciples were wondering at his words, and Yeshua answered again and said to them, My sons, how difficult it is for those who rely on their wealth to enter into the kingdom of Elohim. Now, the, the process uh, that I take my, um, my clients through, which I have also very much employed in my own life and seen great breakthroughs in the area of obviously inner healing, which has led me to live uh, from places that are extremely still. And I experience most days a happiness and a peace in spite of what may or may not happen outside of me that goes beyond anything, any success I ever achieved in my life. And I did achieve many. Uh, while of course, I was a professional tennis coach in the tennis world uh, has ever possibly been able to give me. Uh, and the process uh, begins with something called observation. So uh, observation means that we begin uh, to practice what I like to call self-observance. We begin to observe our lives. We no longer judge our lives, but we become students of our lives. Uh, we begin to uh, become aware 
of what is going on inside of us. We become aware of certain things that we do, which really uh, there is no reason why we're doing them, but we've become so used to functioning in that way. So we become aware of our custom, our habits, and the way that we respond not only to life, but also to others, to ourselves, and of course God on a daily basis. Now this observation, if you like, um, it's really heightened and becomes very powerful, especially when we practice meditation, because it is through the stillness um, of uh, obviously what goes on in our lives. And as you know, meditation is designed uh, as a whole uh, to help us be okay uh, with nothing happening outside of us. So uh, as human beings, particularly because of the wounding that we have within us and the unawareness that we have, not knowing that life begins in the heart, but instead believing that life begins in the head, we, of course, are very uncomfortable where there isn't something happening outside of us. So meditation gives us the ability um, to really be okay with nothing happening outside of us. And it is actually when we come to this space where we are okay, that nothing is happening outside of us, that we're able to begin to listen to everything that is going on within us, inside of us. So observation, um, it's, it's a little bit like the sky that observes the clouds go by. And let's say the clouds are events, uh, people, things that happen to us, thoughts, habits, ways that we respond that we observe, but we don't attach ourselves to them. We simply observe them and let them go by. And we, of course, register those in a journal or in our phone or in our voice memo, whatever it is that you use to register things in your life. Uh, you keep notes whenever God speaks to you that you, you obviously write things down, which if you don't, I encourage you to do because it's actually really useful. Now, observation um, is that first step. Once we begin to observe something and we become aware of a habit, uh, we become aware of something that we repeatedly do or a response that we repeatedly have or even perhaps a cycle that we repeatedly takes, takes place in our lives, we can then ask God to help us understand why that is happening. Um, and so, of course, once that happens, and I will explain in a little bit uh, what that looks like, but just sort of to go through the process so you understand once I cover the story in the Bible, that then leads to a place called ownership. So most of us, we don't own our lives. Our lives own us. And we are an autopilot, um, mainly uh, an autopilot that is there designed to, if you like, um, just get us through life as quickly as possible. Uh, and uh, if you like, to help us to somehow achieve the standards that we are told that if we achieve, then we will have this happiness and this peace that at the end of the day, we're all after. Now, ownership means that we accept that we are wounded. Once God reveals to us why things are happening, often these wounds lead us to become addicted to certain things, to uh, create impulses and compulsions that control us and that we somehow have no control over. And they very much dictate the pace of our lives. And so we begin to own that. We begin to accept. And one of the first ways to see a degree of healing is to accept what we have become through all our efforts and through all that we have tried to do and fix in our lives. Uh, and obviously, 
become not only owners of that, but to really, um, you know, accept that we in a way have relied on, on these things to give us the life that only God can give to us. Now, once we own something, because it's a little bit like an example of not owning and, you know, you cannot give something over that you don't own. So, for example, if I say to you, hey, listen, I want to give you my car, but you know, my car has a $10,000 debt, by the way. So I'm going to give it to you. But what I'm really giving you is not my car. It's actually a $10,000 debt because this car is not owned by me. So I am giving you something that is not really mine. Now, if I don't have that debt in my car and I say to you, hey, listen, I want to give you my car. And by the way, it's paid off. I own that car. So therefore, I am able to freely give it to you and let it go. And I'm giving it to you with no strings attached. And there is nothing being left behind or in any way, you know, um, still part of me. I have fully paid that. I have fully accepted. This is, you know, I fully own the car. And it's the same with our wounding, our addictions and impulses and compulsions. We need to come to a place where we fully own them. And we see that this is what it is and that, you know, obviously our lives uh, will only really be transformed and change if we somehow hand this over to God. Now, if we don't own it, we can hand it over fully. But if we do, then we are obviously giving it over. Now, usually what prevents us from owning our lives is shame. And of course, I have shared before, the biggest antidote to shame is vulnerability. So when we enter into the domain of the heart and in the area of, of, uh, of obviously wounding, it's very important that we ask God to help us be vulnerable, to be honest, to be transparent, because that is the easiest way to not only observe our lives uh, instead of excuse them, right? And also be a student of them instead of being a judge uh, that condemns ourselves all the time. But also at the same time, we are, of course, able um, you know, to hand them over and be vulnerable and accept them as they are. Now, as we hand this over, then healing begins to take place. And once healing has taken place, then, of course, the freedom comes. And instead of that wound, we are left with, of course, a tender scar. Now, people have repeatedly asked me, well, Pablo, why doesn't God just heal us and just, you know, obviously makes us completely new? Well, I'll just speak to you or refer you to Jesus. And when Jesus was resurrected, God chose not to heal his wounds. And it was actually when Thomas touches the wound on the side of Jesus's body that his eyes are open and that his life is transformed and that he senses uh, that love, that uh, wonderful embrace of the resurrected Christ that when we also experience it, um, you know, of course, we are also transformed like he was. Now, our scars give us a flexibility that, of course, our wounds don't or even um, a heart that hasn't been wounded, which I've never actually come across that. But the, 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 the scar gives you a flexibility, which um, when someone touches you in that area, you know, someone goes to offend you, someone goes, says something that in the past it created a reactive response from you because of the pain. A little bit like if somebody touches your broken bone, you're going to shout and you're going to react because, of course, you're protecting yourself. Much the same way with the wounds in our heart. The tender scar gives us a flexibility that instead of it bouncing back and reacting, we're able to absorb 
And instead of obviously reacting with anger, with rage, um, and in, in a way countering what people have done to us, which makes the situation worse and just wounds us further, we're able to you know, proactively respond with love. And when people experience that part of us, they are disarmed and they come into contact with something that is far greater than anything that they will ever be able to experience in this world, which is, of course, the love, the grace, the peace and the acceptance that God transfers and enables us in our lives and enables to flow out of our lives, which, of course, you know, then really does stop people on their tracks uh, and, and leads them to consider and realize not only the condition that is uh, that is within their lives, but of course the need uh, to obviously open their lives to something that is greater than themselves. Now, again, this is a journey. And for me, I've been in this journey now for many years, yet I still, as you will see later on when I tell you the stories, I still at times react in certain areas, which of course my reactions are better, they take longer, but of course, there's still a reaction uh, and there is a space to react in time, uh, sometimes in life. But, you know, when I tell you the story, you will see that there is still some healing that, of course, take place in my life. Now that we have this observation, ownership, healing and, um, you know, freedom um, sequence and we're aware of it. I want to obviously look at the scripture of the rich young ruler and see how Jesus does that with him. Now. As we read before, um, we see how the rich young ruler straight away shows us what's important to him, which is, of course, to be good. This man has uh, has believed that the answer to life is to somehow be good, to try and be perfect. And, uh, and we know this because, of course, he calls Jesus good teacher. He doesn't just call him teacher like he does later on once. Jesus has obviously helped him to observe this about himself, but he calls him good teacher. And Jesus, and one of the things about the scriptures that sometimes I wish we had is the time it took between Jesus saying something and then the silence that would have been there uh, and the next thing he would have said. We don't get that. We sometimes when we read, we obviously, you know, like it says in verse 18, why do you call me good? There is no one good except Elohim. Now, I believe Jesus here is inviting the man to observe his life. And the man is just called him good teacher. And it says in verse 18, and Yeshua says to him, why do you call me good? So there is the first invitation to observe himself. Why have you just done that? And that is exactly what observation, as I explained before, is why do you do the things that you do? Why do you think in the ways that you think? Why do you respond to life in the way that you do? Why is it that you continue to see the same things happening in your life, even though you change jobs, you change your relationships, you change cars, you change clothes, you might even change the state or the country you live in. Why is it the same, the same things keep happening to you? And so here we, we see how he invites him to obviously observe himself. Now, in verse, eight, in verse 19, uh, Jesus, and I love this because the, the commandments, you know, um, that he, of course, uses, uh, he misses the very first commandment, which is, of course, have no gods other than, you know, than, you know, have no gods above me. 
have no other gods besides me, you know, which is the first commandment. And we know that he knows that commandment because he uses it uh, in other parts in the Bible. When he speaks about people, you know, what must I do to gain eternal life? Now, all the commandments he uses are about other human beings. So he says to him, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not kill, and do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And in another, uh, I think it's in Matthew, he says to him, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, but Jesus, what he's helping him to do by mentioning these commandments is helping this young guy to own his life, to own what he has relied on to cover what is actually going on inside of him. Now, we know inside not everything is well because he comes to Jesus to ask him, what must I do to gain eternal life? Now, in the scriptures, when people usually ask this question, what they were basically saying was, I don't really know God. I practice a religion, but I, I have this underlying fear and anxiety within me all the time, and I have no rest. And therefore, I am afraid that I am not 100% certain that not only am I relating with God, uh, uh, but also what is going to happen to me when I die. You know, I am scared. I don't, I have not experienced God. I know his rules. I know his commandments. I know what I'm told I need to do. I know all the formulas. I know all the keys, the spiritual keys, because I buy the books. I attend the conferences. I go to church every Sunday. But even though I continue to do all of these, there is this, this lack of rest and peace and happiness within me. And I am afraid that and somehow I'm missing the boat here, and quite rightly so. And so, and I know that this is well because I felt that for many years. And so Jesus here has invited the young man to observe his life. Now through these commandments, he's also further leading him to try and observe his life and understand, you know, why are you relying on this? You know, so he's saying to him, listen, let me show you what you're doing here. Okay, let me try and expose what's going on here. So he says, you know the commandments, you know what you got to do, you know, doing, performance, you know, good, being good. And he says to him, and then he says to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Now, I love what it says next, uh, which only Mark points this out. Uh, Luke and Matthew don't. And he says, and Yeshua looked at him and loved him. Now, that's what I love about Jesus, that he looked at people and he loved them. And he saw, obviously, the dysfunction, the brokenness, the emptiness. He saw a man here that had relied solemnly on what he could do and how well he could do it. And so he loved them because he saw that in this heart of hearts, he desperately wanted somehow to know God, that he desperately wanted in some way or another to somehow connect with the Almighty God. And so he loves them and he loves them at the same time also because I believe he feels uh, pity for him because here's a guy that has tried so hard and has completely missed the boat. Jesus obviously um, is trying to also show to this guy that this man is living his life from the top 10 inches of his body, which is his head. Um, he is obviously someone that is into good and bad you know, dark and light, 
um, love and fear. So he has completely missed the third way, which is, of course, the kingdom and what the center, what Jesus's message obviously centered around. So Jesus um, is obviously trying to also show him that, you know, all this performance outside is being driven by his ego and is being driven by this desire to be good and to make the great. But of course, while he has been doing this, there's been something that had been completely ignored. Uh, and in a way, all this performance, you know, had come at a great expense, which is, of course, the condition of his heart, which is, of course, where life begins. Now, clearly, when we do life from the mind, um, we are completely unaware of our subconscious man, which, by the way, has always been the place where life was always meant to begin. Even though most of us, even those of us that subscribe to a, uh, at the religion of Christianity, we often, because of our fear of letting go and, and really just living in the moment and trusting God, we do our lives from our conscious man. But the Bible clearly says that life begins from the heart, which means, therefore, that if it begins from the heart, it's our subconscious man. Now, this happens whether we accept it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. Uh, life always begins in the heart. And so what happens is um, when life happens to us and we don't understand why, we often call this fate. We hear it all the time. Well, fate had it that I met this person and this happened or this bad thing happened. You know, there's no such a thing as fate. What is happening is your heart is still sending out the, the life, the, the, the energy out of your heart. The problem is that the wounding distorts that energy. It distorts that life that flows out of your heart. And of course, then begins to attract situations, people with similar wounding and things into your life which of course, instead of bringing blessing and adding to the peace and the happiness that you have within you, they add distress and pain and the suffering that is going on within you 24-7. So again, very important to understand that as we begin to see God heal our hearts, then life changes automatically because the life that then begins to go forth and what we begin to attract begins to be in line with the health the happiness and the peace that God is, of course, um, you know, uh, healing and producing within us. Uh, and this is irrelevant of performance outside, is irrelevant of how well or how bad you do, is irrelevant of how successful or unsuccessful you are. This has nothing to do with performance. This has to do with being, not doing. And so with this young guy, he is basically calling on him and saying, listen, you've been focusing on all these things. And the young guy, of course, turns around and he goes, yeah, you're right. Well, you know, you're right. I, I have managed all of these. And so then Jesus turns him inward into his heart and says to him, okay, that's really good. Now, I tell you what, after he loves him, uh, as he looks at him and he says, one thing is lacking in you. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And take up your staff and follow me. Wow. Now, if this guy was truly functioning from the heart, and he had truly fulfilled these commandments from a place of love, of wanting to bless others, 
of wanting to obviously enrich others and wanting to love others as he loved himself, then of course he would have had no problem with Jesus saying to him, hey, listen, get rid of all of that and follow me. He would have gladly done that because he would have known that his life had, did not come from his possession on his wealth and neither his security, identity or purpose, but they had actually had come from that place within his heart. And so because he has been working really hard from his mind and he has been fulfilling the commandments in the hope that the performance produces a result in his life that is down to him, he can't let go of the thing that he puts his trust and finds his refuge in, which clearly shows that not all is well within his heart because it is obvious that he is using the results of his performance, which is his wealth, to somehow numb and somehow secure and cocoon his life, right? And, and, and find refuge in that uh, to obviously ignore and ease the pain and the wounding that he has within himself. So through this last invitation, Jesus obviously is inviting him. He has invited him to observe his life. He has invited him to own it. And he has then invited him and said to him, listen, give all of that over, hand it over. Because the reality was that his wealth, in this young, young ruler's life, his wealth owned him. He didn't own it, right? And so even if he wanted to in his mind to let it go, he could never because he was owned by it. And again, we go back to what I said before. If we don't own our lives from within our hearts, our lives and our wounds will own us. And we will never be able to truly follow Jesus in the way that he invites us to do so because we will too, be too busy finding our lives in other things that prevents us from fully following him. Now, this invitation is the invitation to let go so that healing can begin to flow and then, of course, freedom. And now Jesus follows that up and says, you know, how hard it is for a man with wealth and can you just like take a minute to understand that wealth doesn't necessarily just mean money or material possessions. It can mean a, a title. It can mean a career. It can mean a university degree. It can mean, you know, having something that most of the world doesn't have. It doesn't necessarily have to be millions like it was in this case. So it, it means whatever it is that you put your security in, whatever it could be your ministry. OK, it could be your pastoral position. It could be your job uh, and it could be a job that you do for God on the outside and you justify it for that. But that very thing could be the thing that Jesus is saying, listen, give that up, give it over, because it is in there that you are consuming yourself, trying to find your success, trying to find your healing. And all that is doing is just making the holes in your heart deeper and worse than they were before you even started to try. And so the healing and the freedom are offered to him, but he's not able to. Now, entering the kingdom of Elohim is not talking about when we die, we enter the kingdom. Because the, the kingdom, as we know, Jesus said, is within us and is right here, right now. And so what is talking about, and, and the kingdom, is, of course, as we know, is a reality. So what Jesus is talking about is saying, unless, unless we are willing to lay down the labels, unless we're willing to shed the things 
that we have worked hard to put our security in and worth and our value. And in a way we use to tell the world that we are worthy to be loved, unless we're willing to put those down, we will never be able to enter the domain of our hearts where we will be able to not only enter into the kingdom, but we will be able to experience it. We will be able to see it. We will be able to hear it and we will be able to understand it and live it in real time, which is in the present moment. Now, um, as I said at the beginning, I'm going to I was going to tell you four stories, but due to the time that has taken me to obviously expand and, and really go into what I wanted to share, I'm going to obviously share two stories only. And I'm going to share one, um, you know, from my childhood and one recent one, which was also the product of my childhood. But I want to in the hope of showing you um, how this is still showing up in my life and obviously the understanding that I have of it. And you will see that some healing has taken place, but of course, there is still some to do. Um, the first story is something that obviously I began to realize and I began to understand recently in the past, if you like, six to ten weeks. Um, I always had a, a problem when I came to pray and ask God for things in my life. And even though we are told to be specific, uh, we are told that if we delight ourselves in him, he will give us the desires of our hearts. I nevertheless uh, usually always felt like when I prayed that God somehow was never going to give me what I wanted specifically. Um, I felt that he would answer the prayer, but he would always answer with a different thing and that he would always answer if you like, you know, um, with something that I wasn't going to totally hate or dislike, but it wouldn't be the very thing that I really wanted to do, you know, my heart's desire. And I struggled with this for a really long time. Um, and, I, and I began to really engage this part of me and I began to ask God, why is it that I have such a hard time in this area? Because in other areas, I'm, I'm so open i'm so confident with you i so i find it so easy to believe that you're good and that you love me and that you want the best for me but in this area in this area of you like if you like career in this area of what i i want to do in this area of what of the things i like to have you know i never ever am able to reconcile that you want what i want well I obviously, as you know, most of you that keep up with my podcast, I meditate most mornings. Uh, I, I get up really early and apart from Shabbat, which is obviously Saturday, which is your Sunday in the West, I obviously spend, you know, 35 minutes in meditation and then I, I spend a further, I don't know, time reading, praying and, and obviously just, you know, doing what we do with God, intimately relating with him, allowing him to penetrate me, if you like, with his love. Now, one night I, I went to bed and I had a dream. And in the dream, um, and I need to apologize if you're a Camaro lover, I apologize, but I am a, I'm a four Mustang lover. And, um, and though I don't think the Camaro is horrible, I nevertheless don't like Camaros. Now, in the dream, I'm driving a Camaro. And, uh, you know, I'm driving the Camaro and I'm going along some road somewhere in the world. I don't know where it was. And then suddenly I, I come into this town and I need to park and I park uh, the car. I parallel park it 
And as I get out of the car, this guy approaches me and he says, hey, man, nice car. Obviously, a Camaro lover. So I says to him, uh, he says to me, is this your car? And I said to him, I look at the Camaro, uh, you know, thinking, why do I have a Camaro when I don't like Camaros? But of course, I don't say that to the guy. And I say, yeah, yeah, this is my car. Because I could see in the dream that he really liked. And he goes, man, that's a really nice car. Anyways, he went on and on about how nice it was. And I say to him, well, actually, you know, I says, I don't really like this car. I don't even know how I got it. I don't even know why I'm driving it. I said, but it is what it is. And I guess that's just the way it goes for me. You know, I get what I get and I just have to get on with it. And so then he looks at him and he goes, well, isn't that funny? He says, I feel the same way because he says, I got a Ford Mustang. And I actually don't like Ford Mustangs. I like Camaros. So I say to him, you're kidding me. Well, I love Mustangs. How can you not like Mustangs? And he's like, well, I just don't. I was wondering the same about you. How could you not like Camaros? So I says to him, well, I don't know, dude. I said, uh, but I, I said, you know, it is what it is. And he says to me, hey, listen, he says, I got an idea. Why don't I give you my Mustang, which is brand new, just like your Camaro, and you give me your Camaro. Now, I had this feeling in the dream when, you know, when you get what you want, with, you know, the very thing that you wanted, you finally get it. I have this dream. And then as I'm beginning to really get this feeling, I wake up. So I'm like, you know, I'm happy from one sense that I got, I was going to get my Mustang. But then on the other sense, I'm a bit depressed. I'm like, I can't believe I woke up just then when I'm about to get the Mustang. But anyways, um, as I notice i look over to my uh, my mobile phone and i i on my cellular phone and i looked at this time that i need to get up anyway so i get up and i i go downstairs and before of course i go meditate as most normal people do is i go to the toilet and as i'm obviously going to the toilet i feel the holy spirit speak to me so clearly and he says pablo i want to give you what you want and that is followed by uh, a few other things that God says to me, which are between me and him. And then as I finish in the toilet and I come to meditate, I have this vision of me as a child. Um, and this vision, you know, uh, is something that actually happened to me. I have this flashback of when I was a child. And for those of you that are my age or maybe just a little bit younger, you will remember the Sony Walkman that, of course, came out in the late 70s early 80s, which was a cassette player, which was fantastic. It was like the first personal thing, electronic thing that you could take with you and you could listen and nobody would bother you. And it was just you and your Walkman. And if you remember, there was the Sony, which was really small and it had these orange uh, padding on the actual uh, headphones. And it was it was absolutely a thing of beauty. And I asked my father, I said, hey, dad, I said, can you could you get me this Walkman, and he said to me, well, you're going to have to wait for your birthday, which was, of course, seven months away. Now, the seven months went by, and, of course, I wrote this thing out to him, describing exactly, I gave him pictures. I mean, you could have probably built the Walkman from the instructions of the way that I described that it looked like. And I said to him, this is what I really want, Dad. You know, I've been waiting. And he says, okay, no problem. You know, I'm, I'm going over to America tomorrow night, and I'll be back in three or four days' time. Uh, I will get that for you. Now, my father arrived from his trip at three in the morning. And so you can imagine as a kid, I, I couldn't sleep. So at three in the morning, when he walks in, you know, I'm waiting for him by the door. And, uh, you know, he laughs. And so he, we go in the room where he used to unpack his stuff and he takes out this Walkman. Now, the problem is that this, though, even though this thing is a Walkman, it's not a Sony, but it's a Panasonic. 
And even though it plays cassettes, it's nothing like the one that I had waited for seven months and that I so wanted to have. And so that day, and that was one of many times where I was not given the ver I was given what I needed, but I never got what I wanted. And so I, and God showed me, he says, you know, that day, because that was the first of many of, of the episodes that followed, you made an agreement that you were never going to get what you wanted in life, that you always was going to get something different. And you also agreed that your dad was never going to give you what you wanted because that was normally the case. He gave you what you needed, but not what you wanted. And then when you put your hand up, you know, remember you took the face of your father and you put it over me and you have believed that I, of course, I'm like your dad and I also don't want to give you what you want. And so I realized that there was a deep wound there that for years had plagued me and I never understood why. But I was so busy with all the noise outside my life and trying to get it right and trying to fulfill the commandments like the rich young ruler and trying to be good and trying to make the great that I just put up with life and I just got by. I just survived. I never thrived and I never experienced the joy of finally getting something from your father that you had asked for specifically and that he delivered to you. Now, it goes without saying that after that moment that I had that, mo that morning, God said to me, Pablo, what I want you to do is I want you to write out a list of all the desires, all the things that you want to see happen in your life. I want you to talk to me about what you want to do, how you want to do it. I want you to tell me what you want, the things you like. Write it all out. Now, my list obviously was quite big. I'm not going to go through it. But since that day, I have had this renewed confidence that when I ask for something that I want, that God is going to deliver it. He may not deliver it straight away and he may not deliver it in the way that I think he will. But slowly, slowly, many of the things that are on that list are beginning to happen. And my life has come into this space where there is this confidence within me that God is for me. And that, uh, you know, clearly what he wants for my life is what I want. The desires in my heart as I delight myself in him are becoming, you know, his desires are becoming my desires and, and his wants are becoming my wants and vice versa. My wants are his wants. So we are in balance. We are in unity. And obviously he is little by little bringing this into my life. Now, obviously, when I meet other people that I also see that are struggling with this, like the rich young rulers. Uh, and by the way, you know, when God gives you stuff and when you live from this place of rest and peace, your life is able to reach and accomplish much, much more than you ever could through your own effort and your own doing. Uh, you know, when we come into this space of grace, because remember, grace is not a tightrope. Grace is an open field. Even though we may face difficult situations, there is always room in our lives. We always feel like we don't feel like we're restricted and we are constricted and that we, you know, somehow are stuck. But despite of what may happen, there always is this feeling of that there is space around us, that we have room to move, that this is not it. And so we, we have this confidence about us, this, this security that I can tell you that no amount of money, no wealth, no fulfilling of commandments, nothing that we can do or not do for ourselves will ever, ever give us that. 
Now that is the first thing, obviously, and I'm hoping that you see how it works with the heart and the journey. You know, the observation, I became, I became aware that I was not able to, to trust God with these things. I owned it, you know, I had this dream, I owned it. I said, you know, I have come to this space where this is what I believe. I can pretend to others that I believe that God is good, that he wants to give me what I want. I can pretend and be the Christian cheerleader that so many of us think we need to be. But the reality is, you know, that what I really believe is this, and I owned it, and I was then therefore able to give it. And God not only healed me, but he set me free. He, he, re, you know, he re-looped my mind. He transformed my thinking by healing my heart. And I no longer in this area lift from my mind. I, do, I no longer try to use my mind what my heart was designed to do. But in this area, I began to obviously allow life to flow out of my heart, which is where it's supposed to come from anyways. And I have seen an incredible transformation, not only inside, but of course also in my circumstantial life. Now, this uh, next story, uh, also from my childhood, um, I left home when I was 12 years old and I was uh, shipped to America where I began living with my grandparents. And then from there, at the age of 14, I began to live from tennis academy to tennis academy, from uh, family home to family home and uh, from tennis coach to tennis coach. And I was always a foreigner in a foreign land. Not only was I a foreigner in, in America, in a foreign land, but I was also a foreigner in people's homes in tennis academies, I was never home and I never actually did go back home, my physical home. Um, and so this meant that I learned to live without a mom and a dad. So whenever I encounter a bad situation, whenever I encounter a difficult situation, calling my mom and dad for help was no longer an option. I had to somehow figure it out myself. Now, I experienced much loneliness. I experienced a lot of abandonment and rejection at the hands of others. And I grew up to become a very angry young man, which had felt abandoned and rejected not only by my mom and dad, but also by life as a whole. Now, one of the things that developed in me, amongst other things, was this need to never allow people to get away with anything. I, had, I was the one that had to punish them. I was the one that had to obviously take care and I, I, because I didn't have a dad that would take care of them. So if somebody hurt me, I had to hurt them back because I didn't have a dad that I could go to say, hey, dad, this person hurt me really bad. Therefore, can you take care of that, please? And my dad would then, of course, go and confront that person and say, hey, why did you abuse my son? I would have to do that. So I grew up like that and I became aware of that some years back and God has been doing great healing. Now, one of the ways or one of the places where this often showed up was in the way that I drive. Now, I live in Israel, as all of you know, and if you didn't, now you do. And in Israel, like in South America, driving is not orderly like it is mostly in America or in the European countries. Driving here can often be like a rally race. You know, people drive in places and spaces that you never thought was possible to drive. And they drive and they, only th and they only really think about themselves and they think, you know, I'm on my own on the road, so I'm going to do what I want, when I want and how I want. And I've also been guilty of that too. So don't think that I'm a saint behind the wheel because I'm not. But nevertheless, you know, when I arrived here, I remember when people used to cut me off, which is a regular occurrence here, or they didn't give me the room to go by, I 
made a point of either putting my window down and getting into this like wrestling match or I cut them off if they cut me off uh, or of course I slowed down so they would miss the light I got back I punished them for what they did to me now only two weeks ago or a week ago actually it was um, you know I'm driving with my wife I just finished this uh, this retreat that I told you about it earlier in the tape um, and uh, this old woman, you know, uh, pulls out and cuts me off. So, you know, I, I honk my horn just to let her know, hey, listen, you just cut me off. Can you please be a bit more careful so you don't do it again to someone else or even me? Now, my wife, as the beautiful person that she is, she says to me, Pablo, it's okay, relax. She's an older lady. She doesn't know what she's doing. So I, I heeded her words, you know, even though I was, you know, obviously not happy with what she'd done. And then we are, of course, sitting at the light to, in the turning lane. Now, the light is obviously changes to green. And I realize that the car's in front of her go, but she doesn't go. What is she doing? She's playing with her telephone. So obviously, this lady is not, even though she might be older, she's quite aware of what she's doing. Um, and so I honk my horn again. So she obviously looks at me through the mirror and then she starts to go. And she starts to go at a rate where she's waiting for the light. Now, in Israel, unlike other countries that I've been to, when the green light starts to flash, it means that it's soon going to be yellow and then, of course, it's going to be uh, red. So she sees as she starts to near the turn that the light is flashing. So she slows down on purpose so that I will not make the light. Now, you know, the cutting me off. It was okay. You know, the fact that she was playing on the phone instead of paying attention and delaying me and the one behind me. Okay. But when she did that, you know, when I realized she wants me to either get stuck in the intersection or miss the light, I realized this woman actually knows what she's doing. So not only do I make the light, but then I obviously swerved around her and cut her right off. Now, once I did that, I realized, okay, things have gotten better. I'm not reacting when I got cut off. I'm not reacting when, of course, she's playing on the phone. It took three goes to make me react. So there's been improvement in my life. There has been a lot of healing that has taken place, right? But clearly there is still more healing to happen. And so you see, it's a journey. And this is what is important. That's why we have grace. The healing takes time and though I was proactive in the first two offenses I became very much reactive in the third now you're probably thinking well I would have done the same thing okay fair enough but the thing about it here is this that I didn't do anything other than upset myself further right and I actually probably scared her and upset her as well and in a way, I endorsed the way that she is and she tries because she would have looked at me and go, well, you see, you do the same thing as me. So I guess it's OK to be like that. And the reality is it is not OK, not because you are breaking the law or you're but because you are basically wounding yourself further by reacting that way. The best thing I could have done would have been to just let it go and let her go on with her driving or dysfunctional driving, if you like and would have just been to just remain calm and present. So obviously there has been more things. There is more things within me that need to still know something about the way God loves me, which I don't actually understand, which is what leads me obviously to respond the way I did with this lady. 
So I hope as we come to the end, and I'm sorry, I have gone on quite a bit. I normally do a 40 minute uh, podcast. I'm now coming to my 55th minute. I hope that this has really helped you to understand how the enemy takes us out uh, and the process that I, obviously in my own life and in the life of many people that I coach on a weekly basis uh, from all over the world, uh, the process that has really helped us and helped me in my own life and others to really see God, um, you know, heal us, to really see God deliver us and to really see God bring freedom and peace in areas that at once had a great big fat storm going on where there was much turmoil, there was much unrest, there was much pain and suffering. And yet now there is a happiness, a stillness and a peace that, of course, as the Bible says, surpasses all understanding and which, by the way, it's available to each and every one of us regardless of what has happened to us, what we may or may not have not done. Thank you for taking the time to join me. I will be back next week and hopefully in the weeks to come as I continue to share my heart uh, and my journey with you out there, wherever you are and whoever you are. May you continue to know each day and each moment of your day uh, the embrace, uh, the inner embrace of that beautiful resurrected Christ. Until next time, Shalom and bye-bye. Friends, thank you for listening to the Zone Project Podcast, Getting Undressed with God. We have come to the end of another episode and I sincerely hope that it has been enjoyable, a blessing, but above all else, it has led you to perhaps consider perspectives you have never seen before. For more information about The Zone Project, this podcast, and all the other work that I put out on a regular basis, please take some time to check out the show notes where you will find the relevant links. As for me, I hope that you can join me again. So until next time, thank you and shalom.